0: Just turn autoplay off on that thing. Why does it go to
1: Fox News? Ugh. Uh, it goes It goes to SNL. Never mind. Okay, that's better. Uh,
0: welcome to Super Duper Stitious. the paranormal podcast that really can't be bothered to be tied down with clear definitions of any kind yeah or you know consistent log line or any basic understanding of what our own show is nope not at all but in general it is a show where we bring science to the strange and the paranormal and the supernatural and all that good stuff. all that good stuff both have scientific backgrounds oh by the way my name's wyatt i'm jake And we have for you another episode in our now kind of mini-October series of special Spooktober episodes. (laughs) So what we've been doing differently this month of October leading up to Halloween is we are having guests on to talk about their own spooky experiences.
1: That's right. And, And or regale us with those of others they know well. Our theme for this week is kind
0: of loosely local stuff, since our expert is a local expert. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's let's get right into it. Only a couple of weeks into uh, our month of special guests, we've already got ourselves an expert on spooky stuff. If you've read any books on hauntings in New England, there's a high probability that our guest wrote them. If you've ever had the fortune of taking a tour of haunted Portsmouth mm. or York or Kittery or... Anywhere around the seacoast, around here, by foot, by trolley. Not yet sure there's an option to go by dirigible, <laughs> but you probably met her, creator and owner of the company New England Curiosities, the one and only Roxy Wicker. Hey
2: there. Welcome hey, to the hey, show. Hey. Thank Thanks. you
0: so much for uh, joining us. Thank you. So yeah, the show, we usually just kind of take turns talking about spooky things. We'll discuss it. We'll try and find some kind of science uh, mm,
1: Explanation stuff. for it, I'd
0: say. Yeah, whenever possible. <laughs> um, this month, we're doing it differently. We're instead devoting a segment of the show... To guests to tell their own stories, so mm-hmm. you've got a bunch of stories. I do. You want to share? We'd love to hear them.
2: Well it is it is so hard to pick here right. in Portsmouth. Around every corner is a ghost story. Hmm. We've got ghost people. We got ghost animals. We got haunted Ooh. cemeteries. Ooh. So all I, kinds of stuff.
1: If I might ask, yeah, do you have a good ghost animal story? Because that might be the perfect crux. We tend to really enjoy cryptid kinds of. Go stand topics. up for a second, what? Yeah, sure. Oh yeah, there you go. I am wearing my my comical Sasquatch sweater today.
2: <laughs> I never knew Sasquatch wore shades. I, love I know, it.
0: yeah, super Seven cool. Laid back day. I think the name of that sweater I got for uh, uh, so Wyatt's girlfriend and I went in together and got this for him for Christmas. And I believe the name of that particular style was Sassy Sasquatch. It's very sassy. No, oh, I like it. But yes, uh, so a ghost animal.
2: Animal. So, every so often in front of the South Church is the pink cupcake truck. I get pretty oh, yeah. excited when Ooh. I see it. Indeed. It, it's kind of my job to make sure that the pink cupcake truck is not haunted. <laughs> yes, so, exactly. and, and you know, if you, if you see me over there buying stuff, don't worry about it. It's all part of the research. Expecting for well, yeah, ghosts. Absolutely. you got to
0: have multiple replicas yeah, to make you, sure.
2: You can't go just one. It's either
1: ectoplasm <laughs> or frosting. Can't tell, Can't which, tell until which you tell yep. you. Yeah, taste yep. test is Got, necessary. Got to keep working it. Exactly. <laughs> so,
2: um, it was a couple summers I was out there, and the woman who does tours over at the Portsmouth Music Hall, which is New Hampshire's oldest theater, came running up and she says, "You're not going to believe it. Ollie was just on my tour." And I said, hmm. "No way, not Ollie." So, little hmm. backstory: mm-hmm. in the 1990s, the theater adopted a black cat named ollie Mm. there are some thoughts that animals have that extra sense about spirits that they can see and perceive things that we as humans cannot so ollie seemed to know when something was going on and they knew just by watching ollie's behavior if there was something ghostly afoot so Ollie was on the job for a number of years and then finally went on to his great reward and passed over his last of the nine lives. <laughs> and a couple of years went by. And as always, people love to go and take tours of the music hall. If you haven't gone, it's absolutely amazing. The
0: bathrooms there are so cool. <laughs> I, I, when
2: I tell my tour guests, I tell them they're very Harry Potter-esque. They you are. You'd half expect Morning Myrtle to come fly in one of the stalls <laughs> at you. Best place in town, in my opinion, to take a bathroom selfie. Just saying. Oh, nice. In case you need to know that. I've been
1: looking for a new one. So, <laughs> so
2: there you go. They make great Christmas cards. Right. So... um <laughs> So she was telling me she was back behind the stage just a few hours before doing a tour. Mm-hmm. And she was explaining about you know the back of the theater and how amazing it is and all mm. the history. So all of these women, and how funny is this, they were all from England on this tour. They're okay. looking up, captivated by the history of the theater. And then the next thing you know, they're reaching down, grabbing their feet. And they're all complaining that they felt an animal rubbing up against their legs. And they could not see anything. And they're looking high and low in the back of the theater. And of course, the woman doing the tour from the theater knows about Ollie. Mm, So now she's trying to explain this story that I just shared with you Mm -hmm. about Ollie the cat. And I love the whole story of Ollie the cat. Because he was brought in basically to let people know about the ghost. Now he's a ghost himself. Mm. So it's like the circle of life. Yeah, right. (laughs) Or maybe a circle of death. I'm not sure what you want to call that. (laughs) But Ollie the ghost cat is over there at the music hall. It's just one of many, many ghost stories that they have over there. But it's so cool. That is so cool.
1: Oh my goodness. We we don't
2: hear a lot of stories oftentimes about ghostly animals. I mean, I do because it's what I do, but most people don't know that. That is
1: really interesting. It's cool too that, like, I guess those, the folks who mentioned feeling some animal near the their feet had no priming no. for it either. Too, they were just like they already heard
0: a story about the cat being that they might have been might prepared have been kind to, of, to, <laughs> to <laughs> think about that. But right. the fact that it was totally going in blind—that's very cool.
2: Yeah, and it's just when they do their tours, they're typically just historic tours, so right. they don't talk about the ghosts on their tours. I mean, if you ask them, they'll give you some information. But this was all about you know how the theater worked and the history, and it's super old. It's from eighteen seventy, and they're very proud of all of that. So, in the middle of a tour, when somebody stops and they're like, "Okay, so what? What is that?" Yeah. You know, there's something going on. So wow. super man, cool.
1: Oh, man, that is creepy.
0: Very cool. That's really cool.
2: It's creepy and cool all at the same time.
0: Yes, indeed. That's yeah. so what we like on this show. Creepy, uh-huh. cool. Also, there's a goofy element that's also good, but creepy and cool are the main two ones we Those used are the before. main two.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I just got to pick one, Jake. Do you want to well, request let's see. a fine tale? Sure. Well, you mentioned uh, haunted cemeteries. So the cemeteries here are all very, very cool, very, very old. Super
2: old. We have the Point of Graves, which is mm. New Hampshire's oldest common burying ground. Ooh. The date there is officially 1671, although burials took place there as early as the 1650s. Okay. so our oldest stone there is from 1682, Ooh, and wow. it's wow. pretty awesome because some of the stones there actually came from England. So they were shipped oh, over wow. as ballast in the ships to Boston, oh, and then they were <sighs> carved into gravestones. <laughs> I know, I know, totally <laughs> oh, right. Get your the,
1: ballast. Sto- I mean grave. I mean ballast stone. <laughs> Come on, guys.
2: <laughs> but it's it's awesome because a lot of people don't realize even the stones themselves mm. have this really cool history, let alone mm. the folk art carvings that are on mm. the stones as yeah, well. Mm-hmm. So
0: must have helped for burials at sea. You just throw the person overboard and throw the stone after him. Just tie him then, to yeah. the stone and there just drop go. it over the side.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, sh- I'm mm-hmm. sure it worked very well. Well, it's <laughs> funny... Um, because in the North Cemetery, there's a story that's pretty close to that. Oh, there was whoa. a gentleman who went over to England during the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. He actually owned the big house that used to be across from the North Cemetery. And he didn't want to pick a side during the mm-hmm. Revolution. Mm-hmm. So he decided during that time he'd spend some you know years in England until everything settled down. Mm-hmm. But he left his wife behind. Mm-hmm. And his wife was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So oh, while he's over there, you know they're staying in touch. And eventually... Obviously, the revolution ended, so he Mm -hmm. decided to hop back on a boat. But when he did, he commissioned his grave marker, and it was this huge table stone in England. So, they're making the crossing back over the Atlantic, bringing the gravestone. He got sick on the crossing and died two days before they made port here in Portsmouth. Oh, no. So, this huge table stone placed in the graveyard right across from their house the wife was so upset she oh, went out and man. slept on top of the gravestone oh. for weeks
0: Dang. and oh of goodness. course
2: the gravestone's still there it used to be on legs but now it's flat
0: hmm. and oh, um,
2: yeah it's it's pretty cool so a lot of gravestones came from england but um hmm. point of graves remains my probably one of my favorite cemeteries in all of new england and that's saying a lot because cool. i've been to like hundreds and hundreds of them yeah, right. and um People get touched, they sense another spirit behind them. There are some secrets in the cemetery that have been dug up in there in probably the past hundred years. Hmm. Gravestones that have been stolen for a lot of nefarious reasons. The Boston Globe did an article in um, 1987 that people who were doing genealogy Mm. here on the seacoast found sure. they had ancestors graves there and you know for me i'm all about taking pictures of gravestones of course not taking the gravestones yeah. which is what they were doing <laughs> and they were also <laughs> making them into coffee tables that was a trend in the 1980s oh, what? The, the 1980s
1: oh my yeah goodness. i
2: know it's it, and i don't remember that i mean I, I grew up largely in the 70s and 80s and i don't sure. remember that trend wow. but the article <laughs> cites that gravestones were pretty much getting up to four thousand dollars oh my gosh Back then, so yeah, I mean, of yeah, course, right. inflation today. I mean, how much are those tables cost? Like four hundred
1: thousand. Four hundred thousand.
2: I know. So, <laughs> so you add in you know all of these mysterious factors. Like right. even without the ghost stories, right. it's like okay, this is pretty intriguing. Like mm. you want to go check this out. At least yeah, I do. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, what's one of the most interesting things you said? Like secrets are being dug up in the graveyards. Mm-hmm. Do you have a good tale there? I uh, do. My one joke of the for the last story yeah. was that the reason she was sleeping on top of the stone was it had a pillow top. <laughs> I'm just kidding, though, of course. Oh, <laughs> on the table. Ouch. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
2: wow. <laughs> wow. I might. I might have to throw my cow story out in a little while to counter that. But
1: Ooh, I'm interested to hear that too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, it's all right.
2: Um, Quite a teaser. (laughs) (laughs) If we go back to. The Vaughn genealogy. So Vaughn's a pretty okay. big name here in Portland. We Vaughn Street, we had Vaughn Mall, all of that. In the far corner of the Point of Graves is the Vaughn mm-hmm. tomb, and the Vaughns emigrated from England in the 1600s. The original stone used to be on the ground, so it was like a flat, kind of like table stone we just mm-hmm. talked about. Mm-hmm. In 1886, the Vaughn's descendants decided to fix the stone because it was mm-hmm. broken in many places. So they built this new monument, and in order to mount it, they had to take the old stone out of the ground. And you can find this all in there. There's about three or four people on the gravestone. Mm -hmm. They opened up by accident a staircase what? And a tomb with 28 skeletons on Whoa. shelves. Oh my gosh, wow. that is crazy. There was a ball of East India rubber in the archway. There were pieces of pottery in dishware. Whoa. And at the time, is Victorian times, you know, 19th century, mm-hmm. some of the doctors in town wanted the skulls for medical purposes. Sure. And the doctor who had examined the bones wanted to make sure they were vaunts, and they checked their teeth, and there was also a complete skeleton of an eight-year-old child in there. Whoa. Wow.
0: So what
2: was kind of secret about this, obviously, besides the tomb itself, is the manner of burial because they didn't use coffins. Because they wanted to fit as many people as they could on shelves. Um, If you go over to Kittery, um, Hmm. the cemetery that is just across from the... Oh, God, they changed the name of the restaurant right now. But it's right across from the little general store in Kittery. Okay. They found it was just skulls they saved in there. Hmm. Whoa, interesting. Just to cram more people in. So (laughs) the good doctor put everybody back in the Vaughn tomb, closed it back up. It's Mm -hmm. all covered in dirt now, but... If you stand in front of the von tomb, you'll actually see that there's grass, but there's so much brickwork. So the erosion is now pulling the grass oh, off of the top it's of the tomb. Exposing.: It's tomb, continuing then. to expose it. Wow. And a few years ago, a man named Lothar Patton went on a documentary with Philip Exer Academy to say the tomb was haunted. No kidding. He said he saw people climbing up out of the ground, wreathed in like a red aura going down into the cemetery. Wow. And that's what he told them. My goodness. So um, I always tell people, look up the Vaughn genealogy. It's much more detailed than, mm-hmm. you know, than kind of the summary that I give. It's fascinating because wow. there's so many more of those type of graves in there and we don't right. know what's underneath. You know, wow, we don't want to dig them up because that was an accident, but how cool is that?
1: Were they very. that's very cool. Were they making that kind of grave for a certain period of time or that type of tomb for a certain period of time for certain reasons or was it just something that they were like, "Whoa, people used to do this when they found it?"
2: Well, it was it was actually common um, okay. for a I number see. of I reasons, mm-hmm. but there was no way of telling that it was there because it was I completely see. underground. Right, right. So when they went to reset the stone, it's like, "Okay, so we just broke into the door and it had a huh. it was a wooden door.
1: Oh, wow. Look at that. And, and
2: stairs and all of that. Like, right. it was totally complete, like a room you would go into, but it was covered in earth, so nobody knew it was there. Hmm. About that. So, it was a thing of basically economy, and it was sure. also a thing of keeping the family together. I but see, the mystery right. is who are all the people? Yeah. There? Yeah, like, right. we know who a few of them are. Who's the rest? The Who's rest the child? Are, there's
1: no record then of those guys. And wow. cemetery
2: records from colonial days are near impossible. <laughs> but, sure. I mean, it was most people were buried on their property for like one thing, and then right. the other thing basically it was churches that kept it and they're long gone now i see yeah Yeah. Hmm. man super cool very cool yeah Yeah. point of graves is amazing
1: man oh man i'll have to check that out now which one is that again
2: so point of graves is just by prescott park so as you take the bridge over to pierce island you'll see it it's right down there on the side of the road cool yeah that one is really
0: cool looking too so, yeah, it's a little tiny
2: cemetery, but you'll get lost in there. <laughs> <laughs> Most people do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, cloaked in a
0: red aura. Yeah, disguised. you see <laughs> their red auras floating around <laughs> in the cemetery. You're
2: like, look, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Very cool. I have to ask about the cow story yeah. as well.
2: Oh, I don't. I don't know if you're gonna be no? ready for the cow story. You got to be ready for this one. All right. I, I don't think know.
1: You we know work have. our way up to that. Yeah. I don't yeah know. Right. Work up to it. Exactly.
2: It's 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 a good one. It'll <laughs> oh it'll move you. Uh,
1: oh, there it is. <laughs> 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 if that were the whole story, right there. I <laughs> know. Uh, <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, do you have um, tales that are just right on the water by the coastline? Or, oh God, of, well, there's, there's so like many a, 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 bajillion
2: a bajillion of them, because we're on the water.
1: We are indeed. Yeah. Um,
2: so um, obviously, if if we want to talk Isles of Shoals, mm-hmm. steeped in so much legends, lore, and mystery, mm-hmm. um, they were actually owned by two brothers at one time. One lived in New Hampshire, the other lived in Maine. And they were charted in the late 1500s by Captain John Smith. Okay. Like John Smith of Pocahontas fame. People are like, right. no way. Right. So there's a lot of ghost stories about a woman in white out there. Now mm. we talked to a gentleman who was a Coast Guardsman, you'd be surprised how many ghost stories our local Coast Guard have. It's amazing. Oh wow, that's and cool. And Blizzard of nineteen seventy eight, which I'm sure you guys were probably not around for. Some of us <laughs> were. And a Coast Guardsman was out on the island and he was fearful. And oh, he was walking wow. down the walkway and started to pray. Mm-hmm. He said a woman in white appeared before him. Didn't question where she came from. He was like, "Am I gonna be all right? Yeah, like, right. am I gonna survive this? <laughs> like boulders being blown over the island, like Whoa. wind screaming, snow like blinding. I mean, it was horrifying out Holy. there. Like, how do you survive? Yeah. And he said that she reassured him. Said everything was gonna be okay. He said he felt a sense of calm come over him. The storm blew itself out eventually, mm. and he attributed part of his safety to this woman in white. Mm. So who is she? Right, Lots of theories abound. Okay. We have, of course, the infamous pirate Blackbeard, who was out there on the Isles of Shoals, allegedly left a young woman to guard his treasure, even if it was till doomsday, should he return. (sighs) She still stands on an outcropping of rock, saying he will return. Right, right. We (laughs) have the Wreck of the Pocahontas. So Celia Thaxter, Thomas Slayton. Thomas Slayton was a keeper out there, Mm -hmm. White Island. His daughter, Celia Thaxter. famed for her gardens and her poetry. Mm -hmm. She wrote what it was like to be trapped inside the tower during a severe storm. And you can actually look it up. It's absolutely frightening because while they were inside the tower, they heard a shipwrecking on the island. I mean, oh, wrecking wow. two splinters and right. they were helpless. So Man. when the storm was over, they went out and there was just dead bodies and splinters of ship right. all around Holy the island.
1: Holy moly.
2: But the story that really rings probably the most true to me, if we're sure. going to talk about a woman in white, yeah. originated in Kittery. And it was long about, I want to say 1920s, 1930s, you'll find this story over at the Kittery Naval Museum. Oh, cool. And... 16 women went on out to the Isles of Shoals. Hmm. It was a beautiful day. <laughs> there was a steamer it was coming back from the Isles of Shoals and all these women dressed in white mm-hmm. decided to see the steamer and they stepped over to see the steamer at the same time. I'm sure this is boat. all going to go
1: very well. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh no. <laughs>
2: the boat they were in capsized oh, boy. <laughs> and right. they could see it from the Isles of Shoals right so they decided to send out a couple rescuers to save these people and the dresses they were wearing were just so heavy with water they couldn't make make it back to the surface mm. so all of them and the two rescuers died out there Dang. The My goodness. wow and um, that's one of the lesser known Ooh. stories out there. So in reading that they were all dressed in white, we have the story about, a, you know, a woman in white who's, you know, kind of this everything's going to be okay type of spirit. Right. I don't know. That's, that's the association I make, but it, people have their own thoughts because there's other stories out there too. Yeah, but yeah, sure. the woman in white of the Isles of Souls. Her story's been told a really long time. Man. Cool. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah, yeah. Super cool.
1: Well, I just recently moved to Kittery actually, and you're mentioning <laughs> of Kittery. Yes. I was wondering, because I originally was going to try to look up a specifically in Kittery for our mm-hmm. episode today and I just through my few searches didn't find anything that jumped off the page at me but I was wondering if maybe you had one. I'm sure it looks like you have a ton. <laughs> Kittery! Kittery. Quaint little Kittery.
2: little Kittery. Um, I I also live in Kittery. And um, I was doing some research on uh, the Portland Naval Prison one day. And Mm -hmm. I was at the the library. And uh, the woman came out and she says, Just, oh, you're looking up the prison? She says, Well, I have to tell you my local bit of folklore. I said, Great. And she got this book on Kittery. like from the 1930s. And it was a witchcraft tale. Oh, and ghost story. A woman named Betty Booker. You can look at it in one of two ways. She sure. either was a witch or sure. she was a scam artist okay. because she used to go down to the docks and she'd bother the fishermen for fish. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, if you don't give me fish, you're going to have a bad time out at sea. So the fishermen were like, okay, what do you want? First catch, take what you want. Mm-hmm. And there was one skipper, Skipper Perkins, for whom, you know, the little, little Perkins way is there. <laughs> it's named after him. And he's like, I'm not having any of it. Like, you're <laughs> a scam artist. You're not getting any fish. I'm not going to give you a thing so one day she got pretty ticked off and she's like all right she's like give you one last chance wouldn't do it so the next time he went out she made a motion with her hand blew across her hand and apparently when it was out at sea like his crew got sick there were holes in the nets they couldn't catch any fish that day so he came back and she's like so what do you think Mm -hmm. and he's like nope i'm still not giving any fish and she's like fine well i'll visit you tonight at midnight so of course everybody in kittery and the stories from the 1700s sure they all went back into their houses and they're like oh something big is gonna happen like they started buckle, to think about it, like, down all down. right, you yeah. know, we don't want to rile this woman up. Right. So the story was, of course, a storm moved in. Mm-hmm. Quintessential New England. Scary <laughs> night. Yeah. He's in the house. He's now thinking about it. He's underneath the blankets when all of a sudden there's this big rattle at door and there she is standing in the rain. Oh, boy. And then a couple days go by.
0: But she's still there in the rain the whole time. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> that's the interesting piece of it. I <gasps> know. Oh, uh, oh. So... He goes out now, he goes fishing, here mm-hmm. she is, she's down on the dock and he like runs over to her and gives her this fish mm-hmm. and then people started talking and they said, well, what did happen that night?
0: Oh. Like, mm-hmm. he wasn't
2: seen for a couple of days, she wasn't seen for a couple of days, oh. but there were these mysterious hoof prints in front of his house that went out into the woods and they wondered what had happened well allegedly she used something that was called a witch's ladder or a witch's bridle which is a Hmm. real thing that originated in England back in the 1400's came over with the settlers and apparently she used this witch's ladder and she threw it over Skipper Perkins Turned him into a horse and rode him all around Kittery <laughs> until he changed his mind. So, of course, now every time she went to go down and get fish, he gave her fish. But here's the freaky footnote. So, we have that story in folklore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're always, you know, remodeling our houses, doing more work. Mm-hmm. And they were remodeling a house in Kittery in the early 1900s. Hidden behind the fireplace was believed to be the witch's ladder that was used by Betty Booker. And Ooh. they threw it in the fire.
1: Oh, my goodness. Damn. Go figure that is crazy. Mm-hmm.
0: I like the idea that he was so stubborn that even after she turned into a horse, it took two days for him to finally decide. <laughs> to to
2: finally decide, He's I like, know.
0: Wait a minute, that was actually
2: did I enjoy that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You always have to tell that, that story very carefully too, just to make sure that people understand how you're explaining it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Just wanted to stick with, you know, was a horse, and they saw the hoof prints, and I mean, that's what the book says. So mm-hmm. it's so cool, you know, wh- whether or not you know it, it truly. Happened, you know, there's so many stories of witches enchanting people here in sure. New England. But it's cool that there was an actual artifact that was found. Yeah. So it's that always, makes me like wonder. It's yeah.
1: thrilling, too, that the story would be there, and then you find the piece that like mm-hmm. confirms it. Yeah. It, is, mm-hmm. it is so thrilling in that way. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah so that's, cool.
2: that's that's a little one from Kittery.
0: Nice. Thank I you like for it. that. Yeah. yeah, sure. We don't want to eat up all of your evenings, so
2: okay. I don't know if you want to
0: have like one more. And then, I mean, we the, just maybe talked the, about the a, cow one. We just talked <laughs> about <laughs> a horse, so I don't know
2: <laughs> if the cow follows <laughs> from that, or if you want to tell a short one then end with the cow. I don't know how you want to do it, but... All right, so... You gotta prepare yourself for the story. All right. I'm gonna gonna
1: plant both feet firmly on the ground.
2: Yep. You gotta have a a good constitution for it. (laughs) It's right. one of those stories when I found it and the resources for it, and I always cite my sources. I tried to let people know that this is stuff you can find out too. Right, right. Um, is Strawberry Bank. They actually have this story over there. And then a book came out a few years ago um, from a former police officer and he had the story in there as well. Ooh. So it... That's exciting it, already. <laughs> it, it kind of has a little bit of some of what you were all asking about because it happened right along the waterfront near the cemetery. Go figure. <laughs> and it's got some mysterious ghostly stuff, but the facts behind it are almost, truth is stranger than fiction. So we're going to go oh, back man. to the late 1800s. This is perfect. Let me my bingo card real quick here. We have,
0: oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the entire card
1: and the back is totally filled.
2: <laughs> this, oh. one, this one has it all, and all right. um, I don't think awesome. there's a, another story like it in New England. So it was around 1880, you know you cross the bridge to Pierce Island, you're going to find Fortree Tree Island. Sunset over the city, it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. However, it was just its lone island back in the late 1800s. Is owned by a gentleman named Charles Gray. And, well, he had a tavern, emporium, and museum. Wow, it's a a one-stop shop right there. Oh, (laughs) trust me, it was. (laughs) Trust me. Um, It was a museum of oddities. Mm -hmm. Things in jars from the four corners of the world on display. Mm -hmm. He would contract with ship's captains to bring him something weird to put on display. Mm -hmm. Was it
0: called Gray's Believe It or Not?
2: Believe it or not, it wasn't.
0: Oh, okay. but, <laughs> I refuse to believe it. Okay. That's okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's okay. We're still gonna run with it. Yeah. <laughs> so um he claimed to have a pair of boots worn by Jesse James in gun battle on display mm-hmm. in a bar. Cool. There were ladies of the evening, dancing girls as they were called. Mm-hmm. There was illegal gambling, chicken fighting, if you must know. Oh. But okay. the piece de resistance and okay. probably the reason why you would want to go out there. Mm-hmm. And when I read this story, I was like, I need to build a tour around this story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I did. Awesome. The centerpiece of the tavern was, ready? Mm. A taxidermied cow that was rigged up to serve alcohol through its udders.
0: Oh, my goodness. You know, I said I was going to be ready for this and I was going to brace myself. I wasn't ready for that. I feel <laughs> somehow
1: aged. <laughs> 10 years, give or take, by the discovery.
0: Mm-hmm. That is quite the thing. I have nothing but questions about this cow. <laughs> yes. Like, what was the decision-making process? Like, well, we have this dead cow. We should taxidermy that. Well, what do we taxidermy that? What should we do with the cow? Exactly. Like, it's just so much.
1: You know what I wish cows did? <laughs> I know milk's fine and all, but booze.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Mooze for booze.
2: So, as if that wasn't enough, (laughs) this was basically one-stop shopping. Right. You could gamble. You could meet a lady. You could be served by the cow. You could enjoy (laughs) all the oddities that were out there. Mm -hmm. And the only way back and forth was by boat. Mm -hmm. Charles ran the only boat. You didn't catch a single local person out there because they knew there was a little something else going on out there. Oh, my. 50 cents out, $5 back.
1: Mm. Oh, okay. on the boat. So,
2: That's how they get you. So now <laughs> it's the end of the evening. God knows how many tugs of the cow these guys had. <laughs> and they're looking down at the Biscataqua. Mm-hmm. One of the swiftest flowing currents in the world. It's 80 feet deep where the memorial bridge <laughs> is. And the guys were jumping into the river saying, I could swim that. Oh, Brave boy. as anything. Mm-hmm. And their bodies were washing up into the Great Bay or out by the lighthouse in Newcastle. So when you read about it, particularly in in the police book that I had read, it was referred to as a leper colony. It was just out of control out there. like Nobody was enforcing (laughs) all the craziness. So finally someone went and got our police commissioner Entwistle, who was pretty much uh, thrown out of office for accepting hospitalities from the brothels. Just saying. And Mm. he went down to the waterfront and solved the problem too sweet. He Mm -hmm. looked out there to the island and said, oh, There's nothing I can do. Belongs to me. It's out of my jurisdiction and back to the brothel he went.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) So
2: mysteriously.
1: Just half dressed on the shoreline. (laughs) Basically,
2: that's the image that Mm. I have in my head. Like, I got five minutes and Uh, I got to get back.
1: Can't do anything about it. Yeah. (laughs) In
2: October of 1908, the Mm -hmm. tavern was struck by lightning not Mm -hmm. once but twice.
1: Oh.
2: I know. Wondering what happened to the cow?
1: Yes. I very much want to (laughs) know.
2: Well... Let's stop and think about that for a minute. Didn't it was ex- full of alcohol. It exploded. Oh, no. What, do you, me it what exploded. do you think went up like a <laughs> torch but the cow? That is amazing. <laughs> so the tavern, wow. they watched burn, obviously. The cow burned as well. Um, some years later, they built the connection to Pierce Silence. You can walk out there. Right. However... The ghost story is that when you look in the water that surrounds the island, mm. particularly when the tide changes, you can see faces of the men that drowned trying to swim off the island. And uh-huh. there's 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 a lot of I guess there's a lot of different ways you could look at that because there's been bodies floating in the river for for years out there. I mean, there's so many stories sure. early on in Portsmouth of you know people falling over the boat. We've got a train at the bottom of the river where people were killed. We've got Portsmouth mm. Naval Prison where people were escaping and dying in the river. So I. I don't know if it's just in my opinion just relegated to the tavern that was out there I think sure. it's probably a little more if you want to believe the ghost story. Right. But um what a cool wow. place. Wow. Yeah, that is it's one of my favorite stories. That is amazing. A great story. It is
1: so incredible to consider that that is a thing that was real.
2: <laughs> it was. I
1: am Flabbergasted. Although I do wish she called it utter delights. That'd be kind of funny. I I know,
2: and and I love to tell that story. I'll I'll probably tell it till the day I die because I'm not ready to put it out to pasture. (laughs)
1: There it is.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, wow. This is absolutely fantastic. So very much. So we'll let you get on with your very very busy schedule. (laughs) Yes. Um. Where can people find you if they want to? To In tour, the graveyard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: um, it, if you want to find me, you can go to New dot com. And all of our information is there. Our schedule, you can check our calendar. We do a newsletter. I do a newsletter and all sorts of other crazy stuff on there. So there's mm. a, a bunch of stuff you can check out that I always have going on.
1: Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank really you. It. I
2: hope you were moved. Yes, very indeed. <laughs>
1: really milking these puns. Just I getting. know. <laughs> <It's> just just <laughs> I a little go. bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: all right. Cool. That was great. That was uh that was about the spookiest story I've ever heard or stories. That was the spookiest 1 to 5 stories I have ever heard.
1: <laughs> I am 100% certain that we've just heard between 1 and 5 stories. So is it um I forget if it's my turn or your turn to start this week, Jake.
0: I believe it is your turn to start this week. Oh,
1: all right. Well, allow me to tell you a very spooky story that is not exactly ghostly.
0: What the f- fuck is it doing on this show why oh uh,
1: well it is one of new england's and especially seacoast new england seacoast new hampshire and maine most popular true murder true crime type tales from history all right cool we're going into them history books cool the title of my story today is the isle of shoals murders mm. aka horror on smutty nose island mm. aka Stephen King's The Shining, but on Smuddy Nose Island this time, Colin, no psychic stuff or ghosts, but with more axe murder stuff. Perfect. This is a version told or written by Mark Bastone, written for Yankee Magazine, and now featured on NewEngland.com. As far as I can tell, Mark has assembled known details from the case into a nice little narrative, which I've edited minimally. A warning up top, it gets pretty gruesome. Mm. So, if you don't like axe murder, (laughs) keep listening. In 1866, John and Maren Hauntvet left hard times in Norway for the promise of America. They spent some time in Boston, but did not like the city life or the accent. In 1868, the Hauntvets moved up the coast and bought a house on Smutty Nose Island in the Isle of Shoals belonging to the state of Maine, but geographically closer to New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. They were the only people on the island at this time. John bought a fishing schooner, the Clara Bella. At dawn each day, he would navigate to the fishing grounds and draw his trawl lines, then sail to market in nearby Portsmouth, New Hampshire. After selling the fish, he would buy bait, then sail for home in late afternoon. His industriousness earned the tall, light-haired man much respect from his friends and neighbors in town and on other islands. Whose numbers rarely reached above fifty in total, I guess, on the islands themselves. Sorry, that makes sense. <laughs> he only <laughs> ever had fifty friends at a time. <laughs> uh, business was good, and in short time, the Hauntvets prospered and lived comfortably in their island domain. Mm-hmm. Marin Hauntvet was a small woman, but not frail. Never call her frail. Um, with a gentle manner, especially in company of others, she provided a fine household for her hardworking husband, applying her decorative touch by using bright paint and paper in their cottage.
0: i I'm just imagining construction paper just kind of glued to the walls.
1: <laughs> this looks, uh, look good. It looks good. i want to go fish now. Although quite content with their new lives, the Honvets missed their families in Norway. Marin cherished their small red house, standing in contrast to the rundown fish sheds scattered on the whitened ledges of the island. A little bit purple here. But often her only companion while John fished was her small dog, Ringa. Who ran over the treeless landscape through the low thickets of Wild Rose and Bayberry. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. It's getting scary, right? <laughs> yeah. The Hanfits lived on Smutty Nose for about two years before Lewis Wagner came into their lives, or Wagner, if you want to go Wagner. that direction. Should I pronounce it Wagner or Wagner? Who cares? Wagner. Wagner. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Was a dark, muscular, 28-year-old Prussian with a thick accent. He seemed friendly enough to the haunt but others viewed him less congenially. He never spoke of his shrouded past, and some had the impression he was always lurking and listening from the corner of the room, pretending not to hear the conversation. He's the bad guy. Wait, this guy is? No. (laughs) He's the hero. (laughs) I'm saving you by killing you. Spoiler. Uh, Wagner fished alone from Star, Malaga, and Cedar Islands, which are connected to Smutty Nose by seawalls and breakwaters. The Honvets would have been hard-pressed to avoid so close a neighbor, for, although second largest in the Isles of Shoals, Smutty Nose is only one half mile long and not quite as wide. The three became close friends over the two years of their acquaintance, as close, it is said, as brothers and sister. Ooh. In May 1871, Marin's happiness swelled with the arrival of her sister, Karen Christensen from Norway. One year passed and John's business continued to grow, so he hired Louis Wagner in June 1872. Wagner was also given a room in the Honfet's house and seemed more like part of the family than ever. But in October of that year, John was to find himself with more help than he needed. His brother Matthew came from Norway to live on Smuddy Nose. With Matthew was Maron's brother, Yvonne Christensen, and his wife, Anetha. Anetha? Anetha. Okay. Anetha. The new arrivals were welcomed by John and Marin, and the five lived together in the cottage. Yvonne and Matthew went to work for John, and Anatha helped Marin keep the house. Louis Wagner, (laughs) I keep saying it differently, stayed on with the Honfets for five weeks after Matthew, Yvonne, and Anatha arrived, then booked passage as a hand on another fishing schooner, the Addison Gilbert, and left Smutty Nose in November. So, the Gilbert was wrecked, and Lewis was reduced to working along the Portsmouth wharves in very little time. Hmm. He earned so little he barely managed to pay board to the Johnsons with whom he lived. By March 1873, he was destitute, his shoes were worn, his clothes tattered, and he owed three weeks' rent. After a long, severe winter, spring was finally in the air, and the sun rose steadily in the clear sky. (laughs) As John Matthew (laughs) and Yvonne set sail on the morning of March 5th, 1873... When the trawl lines were in, they planned to sell the catch in Portsmouth and buy bait arriving on the early train from Boston. At sea, they met a neighbor and asked him to stop at Smuddy Nose and tell the women the winds had changed in favor of sailing directly to the mainland, so they wouldn't be stopping to leave one of the men on the island, as was their custom. They'd be home later that evening. It was late afternoon when the women got the message. They had already prepared supper and decided to keep it hot until the men came home. Karen was now living on Smutty Nose also. She had left her position to take a job as a seamstress in Boston, but was visiting with the family before moving. That was a bad choice on her part. When the Clarabella docked in Portsmouth early that evening, Lewis Wagner was present to help tie the vessel to the wharf. He asked John and the others if they would be returning to Smutty Nose that evening, a question they thought curious but hardly reason for suspicion. John explained they would return home if the bait arrived on schedule. But if it was late, they would stay in port, bait their trawl lines, and return home in the morning. He then asked F- Wagner to help <laughs> bait the lines, a chore which could consume an entire night. Wagner agreed and left the wharf. It was 7:30 that evening when Lewis was last seen in Portsmouth. He apparently learned the bait didn't arrive on the early train, and knowing John's profitable business as he did, concocted a bizarre scheme to burglarize the vet's home. Oh dear! Oh dear! The quarter moon shed little light on this, the first calm night of the new year. (laughs) (laughs) On the shore of the Piscataqua? (laughs) Piscataqua? (laughs) Piscataqua River. Uh, Wagner stole a dory. Not one hour after the owner had replaced the worn thole pins, if you don't know what a thole pin is. I don't. It is the bit on a rowboat that helps anchor the oars themselves. So remember that they are brand new. and rode past the murky brick buildings with smoke streaming silently from their chimneys into the harbor and out to sea. The 12-mile road to the Isle of Shoals was a feat, yet far from impossible for a
0: skilled oarsman. Have you been to the Isles of Shoals at all? I have not. I went out to Appledore just this um, fall, and it Ooh, creepy. Appledore's where uh, Shoals Marine Lab is. Creepy. <laughs> it was terrifying. Uh, and, um, we went on a pretty good sized boat with a pretty, it was pretty fast and it took us a while to get out there. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty good haul.
1: And just imagine running that. Yeah, I would like, do not do that. Mm-mm. He rose out there and he made the three hour trip alone in whaling boats previously dozens of times, apparently. So mm-hmm. this guy was like, didn't give a fuck. Uh, doubtless Wagner's desperation fueled his determination. At about 10 PM, the three women in the Huntved house decided not to wait up any longer. They changed into their nightgowns and Marin fixed a bed for Karen in the kitchen because, late 1800s, it was warmer than the upstairs bedrooms. She and Anatha then retired to an adjoining bedroom. The snow glistened <laughs> on shadowy smutty nose as Lewis approached in the dory. Rather than land in the cove where the Clarabella was usually moored, he rode to the far side of the island and disembarked on the rocky shore confident the women were asleep he trudged up the slope in his heavy rubber boots to the door of the house he tried the door and found it was not bolted and swung open easily in the darkness of the kitchen he closed the door behind him and jammed a piece of wood into the latch of the bedroom door behind which Marin and anatha slept unsuspecting kind of weird that
0: they wouldn't lock their door on a secluded island in the middle of nowhere when they expect people to show up in a rowboat from many miles away and burgle them i mean that would be my first thought every single night
1: yeah. He intended to accomplish his raid undetected, but at that moment Ringa barked loudly that's the dog, not, oh, yes, another, right, not another person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember all the names, so yeah.
1: Uh, waking Karen. Seeing the dark figure silhouetted against a window, she asked, John, is that you? Marin sat up in bed and called to her sister, Karen, is something wrong? guess they had really good hearing well i guess if you're on an island <laughs> in a very quiet house in the
0: 1800s yeah it's probably gonna be pretty quiet overall
1: you hear like the dust settling on the floor um john scared me karen replied still half asleep with that wagner reached for a chair and struck a crippling blow out of the darkness the young woman screamed frantically as wagner continued his assault what karen karen what's wrong maren shouted as she jumped out of bed and tugged <laughs> at the door Maren and Karen, don't forget. They're two different people, but (laughs) separated by one letter. Karen struggled to her feet as Wagner dealt another crushing blow. Battered and bleeding, she was thrown against the bedroom door. Freeing the latch, um, she fell at Maren's feet. Wagner rushed again, swinging and hitting both women, but Maren somehow managed to drag her sister out of his reach. She closed and barricaded the door as
0: Lewis tried to force his way in. I'm kinda of confused by his motives at this point. If he's just trying to burgle them and he got caught, he could just kind of she was kind of asleep. He could have just like disappeared. He thought the money was inside of their heads. <laughs> okay, that makes sense then. <laughs> they left that detail out. I okay. can find it in the
1: historical documents. <laughs> uh petrified Anatha watched the gruesome scene from the corner of the room. Anatha, run, hide. Should I even read the story? I'm starting to feel creepy. This is this what is good.
0: Everyone does on every popular podcast.
1: Good lord. <laughs> yeah. Petrified, Anatha watched the gruesome scene from the corner of the room. Anitha, run, hide, Maren implored as she bolted the door from the inside. Nearly incoherent, with fear. <laughs> Anitha clambered out a window and stood barefoot in the snow. She was frozen with fright. And snow. She froze solid and died. <laughs> Run, Maron! Screeched, screeched! Run Ron. for the hedge maze, which, as we all know, was kept on the property. it's Just out there
0: <laughs> for everyone listening along. Why well, just did a really good impression of Jack Nicholson? Yes, visually uh, at the end of The Shining. Well, we established that. Begin-
1: <laughs> I'm just imagining if it was Jack Nicholson at the end of his life,
0: <laughs> which it
1: might we don't be. No, we- yeah, <laughs> there's still time. Anitha clambered out the window, stood barefoot in the, sh- in the snow. She was frozen with fright. Run, Baron! screeched, but it was too late. Wagner had given up trying to enter the room and left the house. As he approached Anatha, his true identity was revealed in the moonlight. Lewis, Lewis, Lewis! Anitha shrieked. Beetlejuice just shows up. As Anitha stretched out her hands before him, Wagner reached to the woodpile and seized the long handle of the axe. Oh, no. Yep. In one swift motion, he raised the instrument high into the starry night and drove the steel blade into Anitha's braincase. Tons of coins started pouring out. He grinned with glee as the <laughs> plan worked perfectly. <laughs> because Anna was actually the name of their bank that they shoved out the window. Um, She died. <laughs> In full view of Marin, who stood so close on the other side of the window, she could, quote, have reached out and touched his arm.
0: Which she then did. <laughs>
1: She's like, damn, you're strong. Did you just row all the way here? Yeah. Do you want a date? (laughs) Seeing Anatha could no longer be helped, Marin turned her attention to saving herself and her sister, naturally. She rushed to the bed where Karen was kneeling with her head on the mattress and tried to revive the dazed woman. Karen, Karen, we must run, she begged. But her poor young sister was on the verge of fainting and could only manage to say, no, too tired. Mm. Sounds like a Monday.
0: Or a concussion.
1: Or a concussion. Yeah, yeah. She's either Monday or she got hit with a chair. Uh meanwhile, Wagner completed his butchery mm. and was returning to the bedroom door with the axe, naturally. Marin's keen sense of self-preservation told her that you're
0: gonna say smell for some reason. <laughs> he's he's at the door.
1: <laughs> Marin's keen sense of smell told her they were both doomed if they stayed together. <laughs> she hastily wrapped herself in a heavy skirt and hearing Wagner <laughs> Enter the house. She climbed through the window into the bloodied snow with Ringa, now silent, close behind. As they ran, as she ran, the spiny ice covering the undergrowth tore at her bare feet. She expected to find Wagner's boat in the cove and was near panic upon discovering it wasn't there. Her first impulse was to hide in the cellar of a vacant building close by, but she thought better of it, realizing Wagner would be thinking likewise. Instead, she ran along the shore to the far side of the island. As she passed the cottage, circumventing it as widely as possible, her ears captured the agony of Karen. Oh, I know, it's pretty sad. Shivering and clutching Ringa close to her breast, she crawled between two rocks near the water's edge where the pounding waves obliterated all other sound. Wait a second. a question.
0: If everyone dies, how do they know the story?
1: Everyone doesn't die.
0: Okay. Keep going. Ringa. <laughs> Ringa told <laughs> the story.
1: You spoiled it, but that's all right. Uh, At the house, Karen was trying to escape through a window. I guess she recovered from her fucking sleepy nap. Jeez, lazy. Uh, When Wagner burst into the room, he swung the axe wildly at the feeble figure, first on the mark, then missing, splitting the sill and breaking the handle. Wow. Here is a picture of the very axe, purportedly.
0: Of the very axe.
1: Wow. It sure is an axe. That's an axe. I guess he left an accident. I'm sorry. Don't leave that in. Cut that out and cut me out of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, Broke the handle. So strong, that boy. Karen's listless form (laughs) melted into the room where Wagner twisted a handkerchief around her throat and pulled mightily until he was sure his deed was final. Mm. No money came out. (laughs) What anxiety Wagner must have felt seeing Marin had escaped the room. He left a bloody trail of footprints in the snow surrounding every building on the island in a vain attempt to forever silence the last person who could identify him. It must have been very fucking creepy to find that the next day. He searched as long as he could, but knew he had to abandon hopes of finding Marion if he were to escape under cover of darkness. He went back to the house and dragged Anatha's body by the feet into the kitchen. Exhausted, he then brewed a pot of tea, leaving bloodstains <laughs> blood on the handle, and ate some food he had brought with him using a plate, knife, and fork from the Honfet's kitchen. Jesus. He did the dishes. Just kidding. After ransacking the house, he fi- and finding only fifteen dollars, which back then was like four hundred thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> at least. Um, after finding only fifteen dollars, he departed, leaving Anitha's body on the floor beside a clock that had been knocked off the mantle in the struggle and stopped at seven minutes past one. It was almost 8 the next morning before Marin dared leave hiding. Unable to gain the attention of workmen on a neighboring island, she staggered on frozen feet across the breakwater connecting Smutty Nose and Malaga, a small island right next door, and waved her arms to the children of Jurga Ingerbredsen? who were playing outside their home on Appledore.
0: Hey, that's where I was. Hey,
1: you should have helped her, Jake. Oh, no. <laughs> Once alerted, Yurga rode the quarter mile to Marin's rescue. He returned her to the care of his wife, then gathered men with guns to search Smutty Nose. When the party landed on the small island, they discovered Wagner's deed, horribly documented. Finding no one on Smutty Nose, the men returned to Appledore and searched there also. A few hours later... The Clarabella was spotted on the horizon, her sails spread majestically, gliding through the warming sunshine on the icy sea. This guy gets so purple sometimes. <laughs> See, seeing a signal on shore, Matthew and Yvonne rowed a tender to Appledore, and John sailed the schooner to its mooring on its muddy nose. Long story short, they found them. And they get really sad about it. So, word of the calamity spread fast. A description of Lewis Wagner was telegraphed to police throughout the coastal states, and the evening editions were filled with all the gory details. Mm. Two men, both of whom knew Wagner... And were sure of their description informed police they had seen Wagner in Newcastle about 6 o'clock that morning. The stolen dory was also found in Newcastle near a place called Devil's Den. For those who don't know, Newcastle is right next door to Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. The new thole pins were worn almost a quarter of an inch. A little more than half a centimeter for our friends across the pond. (laughs) So... That's where the thole pins come back in. <laughs> the key details. He was rowing like crazy. In. It would later be discovered that after returning to the Johnsons, where he changed some of his clothes, Wagner had caught a 9 a.m. train for Boston. There he purchased some new boots and a new suit of clothes, then dallied with some women he knew at a boarding house. <laughs> Certainly John Hontvent told the authorities of Wagner's usual haunts. And that very evening, Boston police found him. When arrested, Wagner was wearing his new suit over his old clothes. He offered no resistance. The next day, Wagner was transferred from jail to the Boston depot for the trip to Portsmouth, followed by a jeering crowd of five hundred people, at least. At each depot along the route, the train was met by outraged citizens demanding his immediate demise. It is reported a crowd of 10,000 people filled the streets of Portsmouth and nearly tore him to pieces themselves when he arrived. Wow. Spunny Nose was in the jurisdiction of the state of Maine, and Wagner would have to be tried there. Three days later, when he was moved from the Portsmouth jail to the train, a lynch mob of over 200 fishermen from the islands and the coast was waiting. The police escort drew their revolvers, and a company of bayonet-wielding marines were called from the nearby Navy base. But the mob still threw a bunch of stones and bricks, apparently, at (laughs) this guy. Trial of Lewis Wagner commenced on June 9th, 1873. Witnesses testified that Wagner at his lowest moment said he would commit murder for money. Not a good thing to say. He knew John Huntvet had money in the house that he was saving for a new boat. Maren Hopfitt's testimony was compelling stating without hesitation that the killer was Lewis Wagner and relating Annatha's last words, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis kind
0: of suggests maybe it was Lewis Wagner.
1: Wagner. Wagner gives his own testimony but he is rambling and incoherent claimed he was working that night baiting trawls for a fishing boat but he couldn't remember the boat's name couldn't remember the name of the captain or even the location of the pier claimed he went to a saloon and had two beers and then went to sleep outside <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't remember the name of the saloon or the location so they hanged him. The end. Pretty much. Pretty wow.
0: much. That is a pretty dark and uh, gory tale. A dark
1: and gory a, tale
0: indeed, but it I happened right it, here. Yeah, right here in this room. In this room. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly spooky, I guess, but. It was kind of spooky, just not supernatural. It's just
1: gruesome, yeah. Yeah.
0: The kind of stuff that uh, people all the time be into.
1: Yeah, this is a, this is a crowd pleaser. <laughs> there you
0: go. Strangely enough, I think it probably is. And
1: people out there are like, oh, yeah. You heard that part about the money not coming out?
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for sharing that uh, particular tale of mm-hmm. the seacoast. Mm-hmm. Well, my story is also of local stuff, but it's a bit, uh, a bit more on the supernatural side there, what?
1: I appreciate that. We need it to be taken back in yes. that direction.
0: I thought I had a cool story from the town I actually live in, Dover, but it turned out to suck, so I instead have a slightly <laughs> less local legend, still mm-hmm. New Hampshire. So, this is from The Haunted States of America, Haunted Houses and Spooky Places in All 50 States by Joan Holub, which I think, (laughs) I'm pretty sure makes this the second book, or the second time I've told a story on this podcast from a book fair book from when I was a kid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. So, uh, let me just... uh, God, the uh, the font font size is... (laughs) is huge. And the margins are too. There's just one word per page. (laughs) All right, so the location, Henneker, New Hampshire, which Uh is not super close to here, but there's beer from there. It's not very good beer. Mary Wallace wasn't born (laughs) at home or in a hospital like most people. She was nicknamed Ocean Born Mary because she was born on a ship crossing the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. Though she lived to be 94 years old, it was really a miracle she wasn't killed within hours of her birth. No kidding. Uh, Mary's father, James Wilson, was the captain of the ship named The Wolf, which was bound for New Hampshire in 1720. The wolf carried Irish immigrants hoping to settle in America. Mm -hmm. Just off the coast of Massachusetts, Wilson's wife gave birth to a baby girl. Shortly afterward, the wolf was attacked by an infamous Spanish pirate named Don Pedro. Okay. Pedro and his crew looted the ship and were about to kill everyone on board when they heard a baby cry. Mm. Pedro hurried to the captain's cabin. They hear a goddamn baby in here? I hate babies. (laughs) Where he found Wilson's wife and her newborn child. He offered to make a bargain with Mrs. Wilson. If she promised to name her baby girl Mary in honor of his own mother, he would spare the lives of everyone on the ship. Mrs. Wilson hmm. was like, ah. She's, She's like, more of an Alice. That. I don't I know. know. <laughs> uh, she quickly agreed. Kill us. The immigrants sailed on their way, feeling lucky to have escaped with their lives. Mrs. Wilson mm-hmm. kept her promise and named her child Mary. Ocean born Mary became famous as the baby who had saved an entire ship. What? The wolf landed and the immigrants traveled on to build new lives in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Londonderry. It was there that Mary grew into a beautiful six-foot-tall woman with red hair. She married a man named Thomas Wallace when she was 22, and they had four sons. When her husband died after 18 years of marriage, Mary suddenly needed a new home. I don't totally understand that part of it. why her house just stops being hers at that point, but yeah. Uh, by coincidence... Pa- patriarchy stuff. I guess so, yeah. By coincidence, the pirate Don Pedro came looking for her at about that time. Ugh. He had just retired from piracy and had built a mansion near the town of Henniker. Pedro had remembered baby Mary and decided to see what happened to her. When he found Mary and her children, he invited them to live in his new house. What Mary became what his chances? housekeeper for the next ten years. What Pedro probably didn't truly give up his pirating ways. He sometimes had strange visitors at the house and conducted business with unsavory characters. <laughs> uh, one day, Mary found Pedro lying dead in the garden with a sword in his back. Like you do, yeah. Like, probably slipped and fell. <laughs> Just gardening <laughs> with a sword, swashbuckling. <laughs> Many believed he had been killed in an argument over pirate gold, and rumors circulated that there could be buried treasure on the property. Mm-hmm. So for the next almost three hundred years, people started digging a deep, deep hole to find. No, that was a, <laughs> a throwback to a couple oh, episodes yes, ago. Yeah, indeed, indeed, the money pit. Yes. Um, Mary continued to live in Pedro's house until she died in eighteen fourteen at the age of ninety four. Her nickname, Oceanborn Mary, was carved on her gravestone, where it can still be seen today. So I'm not totally clear on why. She couldn't live in her husband's house, but she could live in the house of this random pirate guy. She had to be like a servant
1: for I guess, some reason. Yeah. But then she got to have the house afterward. Maybe um, maybe she had no employment at the time, and
0: they had to like liquidate assets, but then wouldn't she have money? Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> there are some holes in this story, which we'll talk about. You know. For many years after Mary's death, treasure hunters and vandals were the main visitors to her house. Other people were curious and went there hoping to see a ghost or two. Some said that a spooky six-foot-tall woman with red hair peered at them from an upstairs window or floated down the main staircase and walked outside to a well in the yard. So scary. Mary's house fell into ruin, was eventually renovated, and is now a private home. Hmm. Past residents have reportedly heard strange noises in the house and have Hmm. said that Mary's ghost has sometimes helped them out of danger. Hmm. Like if they fell into the well, she's getting water out of it. Oh, here, hold on other residents have not experienced anything out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. At midnight on Halloween, the ghost of beautiful ocean-born Mary is said to make an appearance in the Hanneker countryside. Mm. She rides the surrounding hills in a phantom coach drawn by four white horses, her long red hair flying in the wind. Okay. Always on Halloween for some reason. (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) So uh, that is the general tale. It's kind of like the normal ghost story you hear local legends where it's just like oh here's some history about a person and here's supposedly you can see their ghost do a thing they're still around as opposed to our usual fare in most of our episodes which is like ongoing specific accounts first person from somebody whenever possible interestingly Um, both of these stories did not spook me that much well i don't know about you but this one spooked the hell out of me i should have Um, said
1: actually sorry jake
0: but wait let me take that from the top this incredibly terrifying tale may have a bit more to it than that uh, here's a take from the Concord Monitor two years ago Mary grew up into a tall woman with red hair Quote Elegant in her manners Resolute and determined Of strong mind Quick of comprehension Sharpened her conversation with a strong brogue and full of humor They're from Ireland mm-hmm. uh, According to a town history She lived much of her life in Londonderry But moved to Henniker to live with one of her sons as she aged Records show So that makes a little more sense She would have moved to Londonderry to just live with a family member Right um, it was only years after she died that the legend of Ocean-Born Mary began. There you go. When a Wisconsin man named uh, Louis Maurice Auguste Roy bought her house in the <laughs> 1900s, fixed it up, and turned it into a museum about Mary's life. Hmm. Filling the house with artifacts, Roy told fanciful stories about the house's former inhabitants and started charging admission for people to see them. Naturally story about Mary Wallace morphed into a tale about the pirate captain moving to Henniker and building the house, mm-hmm. being killed by someone wielding a cutlass in the orchard, and finally being buried in the backyard along with an extensive amount of gold and treasure. Damn. Uh, Roy is even said to have rented shovels for 50 cents each, encouraging <laughs> museum visitors to dig up the backyard looking for buried treasure. That's pretty awesome, actually. Well, hey guys. Destroy my yard. <laughs> <laughs> which i mean you gotta give him credit for at least committing to the bit. oh it's make You're money lucky. off the it's bit. Fun. yeah yeah be even funnier if someone did find treasury but like, wait uh, uh. did i not mention i own that <laughs> uh. uh when someone told him he knew he lied he told the person to mind his own business and to, um and to let him mr roy earn his living the way he wished a town history states hmm. roy also started spreading a rumor that mary's ghost still roamed around the henneker house according to the town history he would tell people he had seen a ghostly specter walking around the house or rocking in her favorite chair. <laughs> Roy finished the statement by placing the rocking chair on the end of a loose board and stepping on the other end of the board to make the chair uh, Classic. creak. Yeah. Classic. Legend persisted after Roy died, much to the annoyance of the house's subsequent owners. <laughs> they were harassed so often by people coming to see the legendary house that police presence was required for a time. Oh my god. So Plus it didn't help that there was that ghost there. Yeah, no. Jeez. So yeah, local legends often can be either not terribly spooky, not at all supernatural, or made out to be even if they aren't. Right, um, very true. Yeah, so very much in tune with or completely different from the stories we just heard from Roxy.
1: I was going to say, I feel like both of our stories are either exactly like what we just heard or so different, it couldn't even be more like <laughs> exactly. distinct.
0: I kind of wish she would have chimed in at some point to tell us whether or not that was the case, but she's just been sitting here silently... This entire time.
1: She just put her hands over her face and tucked her legs up near her
0: chest and just rolled into a ball on the ground. (laughs) Anyway, that's what we got for this week. (laughs) Um, We will be wrapping the spooks up as we get closer and closer to Halloween. If
1: you guys can handle it. I mean, this was pretty tough to get through. I think, um, you know, Roxy's stories either were or were not extremely spooky, and ours were obviously
0: way spookier, (laughs) so yes anyway thanks for joining us this week uh we're gonna have a couple more guests over the couple a couple weeks and then we'll have a whole different thing for halloween itself
1: yes indeed and thanks again to roxy for those tales yeah and um we appreciate that very much she will have plugged
0: whatever she wants to (laughs) so yeah thanks for joining us this week thank you very much again next week
1: please do and uh yeah until then bye (laughs) (laughs)